In the beginning, darkness covered the earth. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. The true light, which gives light to everyone, came into the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. It is a light for the lost, the searching and the seeking. A light for the darkest valley, a light to drive out fear, even in the shadow of death. When we believe in the light, we become children of the light. It shines in us, through us. If we walk in the light, if we let it shine before others, we become a city on a hill, the light of the world. When we let his word light our path, others will follow. We become a beacon of hope to a world in darkness. Our lives reflect the glory of his resurrection. He makes us a light for the nations, so his salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Let there be light. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Well, that's pretty much the sermon. If you guys want to cut out of here early, which I know you don't. I know you don't. I, uh, I've been planning on preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and I've been thinking about preaching even this morning on light. And uh, before I, I have to address the elephant in the room. I know I got a haircut. I know it's different than I normally get it. Thank you, Katie. You're so sweet. Uh, I, uh, my wife has graciously and freely cut my hair for the last 13 and a half years, and uh, she's not able to really do things like that at the moment, and so I went to the barber, which was great. Great guy. Cuts for Christ, right near First Street Meridian. It was so great. Uh, <clears throat> but it was different, and uh, my kids may- told me about that too, and so I just wanted to say it. I know it. Elephant in the room, it's over. So, if you're new with us, we, uh, we have been uh, studying the life of Jesus in the Gospels for some time now. We've been looking at his life as chronologically as we can. It's not perfect. The Gospels aren't set up that way, so you just have to do your best. But we made it to the Sermon on the Mount. And I bet every single one of you have heard about the Sermon on the Mount. This is the most famous sermon in the world. For the last 2,000 years, if you've heard a sermon at all, you've heard this sermon. You've heard of Jesus' famous words. You've heard of the blessings they call the Beatitudes, uh, the eight blessings. And right after that, he goes into this, you are the salt of the earth. And that's what we covered last week. You are the salt. And this Sunday, this morning, today we're going to be looking at uh, his words in the next verse, in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. And so why does Jesus call us the light of the world? I spent a little time studying on light. Do you you guys remember studying quantum mechanics in grade school? 
you know, quantum physics where, uh, you know, like there's, there's the three pillars of quantum. You guys already know this. And, you know, how light is such an exception. And Sir Isaac Newton way back was like, hey, I don't think light is just a wave. And people were like, whatever, Newton. And then Einstein came around, you know, Mr. Einstein. Uh, he came around in the early 20th century and said, no, for real, I think light is a little bit different. It's not behaving like you would expect it. Let me put these slits in this piece of paper and show you. You know, and he did this whole experiment, and he had all these theories of relativity and whatever. I'm not a genius, so I don't know what he knows. But, uh, you know, light is so unique. It is the one exception in all of creation. Did you know that? It's the only, I call it a thing because there's not a better noun for it. It is the only thing in creation that acts as much as a particle as it does an electromagnetic wave. Almost like matter and waves, it's, it just has characteristics of both, and it's so unique, it's kind of the bedrock of quantum physics that you know about. Um, and there's a lot we could say about light. As I studied about light, I, there's four characteristics everybody has understood about light, just is scientifically, just understanding it. The light from the sun gives energy and life to every single living thing on the surface of the planet everything. We wouldn't live without the energy from the sun. Not just plants, but you and I need sun too. Every living creature on the surface of the planet, including plants, uh, need the light. And they need light to, to, to live. They, we also need the sunlight for warmth. I don't know if you've ever been in a cold building and then you walked outside and you were like, oh, and that you felt the sun, you felt the heat, the energy from the sun. Do you know that in one square meter, it's not very big, one square meter of the sun, the sun gives off 230 million watts of energy, 230 million. Now, one millionth of that gets to us. We only get about 230 uh, watts of that once it reaches all the way down here to earth. But you need the, the sun for warmth. I mean, you wouldn't want to live on Pluto, would you? I mean, some, if there's a pregnant woman here, maybe she would. But, um, you know, you, you need warmth to live. By the way, why did they take away Pluto? I know this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. Do you guys remember in grade school when it's like, you know, the nine planets? There's nine of them, as there should be. And my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas. Did anybody else ever learn that? I learned that. And, uh, and then they took away the ninth planet. What's up with that? Now what are kids going to have to memorize? My very educated mother just served us nothing. That's what they're going to have to learn. They have a whole new thing. There's only eight planets. I think they're wrong, but whatever, you know. I don't know what it takes to be a planet, but so for, forget the Pluto. But uh, light, you need light for warmth. You need light uh, for energy. You need light to see. You have to have light to see. God created us with eyes. He created living uh, creatures. They have eyes. They're able to see. And we need light to be able to see around us. And we also, interesting to humans, part of our circadian rhythm, we uh, need light to know when we should stay awake and when we should go to sleep. Light helps us. God designed our brains to see white, bright light and say, hey, it's time to get going. That's what the sun does for us. We need to be active. By the way, that's why people uh, should use, if they do, uh, use blue light blocking glasses. Have you ever heard of those? Blue light blocking, like with your computer screens, I'm on the computer all day, I'm on my device, it's closer than like books or if you're working out uh, with your hands and other things, and it's not because of the light itself that strains your eyes, but the closeness and the duration. You blink less when you're looking at a screen, you normally look in the same spot for longer than you would any other time in your whole life, and so people strain their eyes, there's actually something called computer vision syndrome, CVS. 
I learned that I have digital eye strain, and, uh, and I just have to work through that. But at nighttime, you could put blue light blocking glasses on, and it blocks the bright light to where your eyes only get like the yellowish light, that your brain's like, oh, that's a fire, and fire's for nighttime, and we're going to go night-night. And so your, your brain's totally cool with yellow light, but white light keeps you awake. So light gives you energy, keeps you warm, it keeps you awake, it helps you see. That's what we know about the characteristics of light. But when Jesus preached and said, you are the light of the world, he wasn't exactly speaking of those characteristics. Now, if you wanted to, you could point to science and say, Jesus knew, and of course he probably did, and you know, I don't, I don't know what he was thinking at the moment, but we know in the New Testament Whenever it speaks of light, it gives three characteristics. So as good as science is, as much as I love it, I want us to think biblically about light and how the New Testament describes light. And there are three main characteristics. Number one, light embodies the truth. Now, why did Jesus call us light? Because light embodies truth. The truth. This is something you probably already know. You've heard of this if you've been to church for a while, but keep tracking with me. I want you to be thinking about why Jesus called you the light of the world. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes about this. Now, Paul was after Jesus. Uh, Paul may have been a similar age as Jesus. We don't know exactly how old he is, but probably around his same age. And it was after Pentecost, after a while, Paul was converted. And he became a believer, but it was multiple years before he started his first missionary journey in the 40s and then ended up going on, you know, the three missionary journeys. And it was later in the 50s when he started writing these letters and in the 60s a little bit later. But Ephesians was unique. It was a unique place that he went, you know, Mars Hill, where he would go and defend with the philosophers. You can read that in the book of Acts. It's really interesting. Paul writes to them and says, hey, you were once darkness. And he reminds them of this light-dark comparison. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, For you were once darkness, but now you are, he doesn't say the light of the world, he says, you are the light in the Lord. You are God's light. Now, light in the Lord and light of the world, same idea. It's the same thing. He's describing, he's just speaking about what Jesus already taught. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, when he says walk, he doesn't mean literally walk. I remember going to church as a teenager, and I wasn't raised in you know, Sunday school. I didn't know all the big churchy words like sanctification, glorification, you know, any of those things. And so I thought walk in the Lord, it took me a minute to realize they mean how you live your life. Walk as children of the light. Live as if you are a byproduct or a child of God's light that you were raised in God's house, that God was your father and he taught you how to live. Have, have you ever heard someone say, oh, his mama raised him better than that? Or like before they go off to college, I mean, this is like, you know, 40 years ago probably, they don't do this now, but it'd be like, don't forget where you came from. You carry the last name, you know, those, that, that good integrity of a name, which is, should still be important now, but is kind of lost. The idea is, if you're God's child... Shouldn't you act like you grew up in his house? Shouldn't you live as if he's the one who taught you? And so, so, so he says, walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. This is such a pertinent message for today. This is a sermon that every church needs to hear from God. That it is in him that we find what is truly good, what is truly righteous, and what is truly true. I mean, isn't that what the world is fighting against right now? Isn't the world calling evil good? Because of darkness. Aren't they saying, well, this is justice, this is social justice, this is true righteousness? And, and I know there's so much mess in all of that. And I know even the term social justice has roots and cares. Most people don't know about that. They're just ignorant of the truth. Of course, it's wicked and evil and it stands for something wrong. But the point of what people are really gravitating toward is, I want what's fair. I want people to be treated rightly. I don't want people to be abused. I don't want them to be, uh, I don't want them to be treated unfairly. Well, the New Testament tells us it is God's light that reveals what is truly just, that righteousness, what is truly true. And so light produces that. In Romans 2, verse 19, Paul was writing them and he says, you Jews, you Jews think you are, he tells them, you think you're good, but he says, you are confident that you yourself are a guide to people who are blind, a light to those in darkness. And Paul was challenging them like Jesus would challenge us today. Do you think that you are really a guide to the people around you? Do you think that you are a light to those that are in darkness and blind? God wanted you to be. That's what Jesus meant when he says, you are the light of the world. He says, you are, that's your identity, that's your purpose, that's why you were made, that's why you were left here. You are the light. So walk as children of the light. Produce what is truly good and righteous and, and true. They thought of the light as the way, the guide, and embodiment of truth. That's how 2,000 years ago, that's the context of which Jesus preached this, what he meant and what they heard. You are the light means you ought to embody what is really true, what's good and righteous and true. So I want to do an experiment. Uh, get your flashlights ready on your phone. If you have a phone, you probably have a flashlight. I know some of you are holding out on the smartphones. That's fine. Listen, you, you live your own life. This is America. But uh, if you do have a digital smartphone, you have a flashlight on it, just get it ready. We're going we're gonna to drop the lights uh, in the house, and I want you to be able to use your flashlight. So let's drop the lights. You guys ready? Okay, so some of you have your lights out, right? Okay, let me just ask a question, and some of you kids are in here, which is awesome. Listen, if, if there was a power outage right now, and the lights went out on not because we wanted them to, to go out, and it was just like it is right now in this room with the lights, the flashlights, where would you gravitate toward? Where would you want to go? Let's get a little crowd participation. Where would you want to go right now? You would want to go to the light, right? You want to be where there is light. Now, here's the problem, and we're going to leave the lights off for just a moment. Here's the issue. A lot of Christians mistakenly think that the church building is the light. That, that if you were to look at a map of Newton, if you were to look at a map and you were to see all the Bible-believing, Jesus-loving churches, there would be, I don't know, 15 lights in Newton. 
But is that what Jesus wanted, for buildings to be the light? Uh, look at this video. Uh, one of our, uh, Ryan created this video. I want you to watch this video. Most people see those big flames on a map and they think this is the church. But those are just the church buildings. What God had intended is that the church people would be out in their community being the light. There's a big difference between five lights and what God intended for hundreds and thousands of people to be the light. Jesus intended for you to embody the truth because you are the light. And we could turn the lights back on. It's not the building, and I know that gets bright. Your eyes have to adjust. That's a whole different thing. You are the light means you are a living map. You are a GPS. You are a guide to those who are blind and lost and surrounded by darkness. But it only works if you're trying to please God. Your light is only on, the light switch is only on in your life if you're actually walking as children of light. If you're not walking as children of light, you're missing it. And that's what Paul's trying to get them to think. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth as you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. The light embodies the truth. This is what truly pleases God, and it's what truly helps people. The light. Light embodies the truth. Uh, John, the beloved disciple, wrote about light. I think we read about it earlier in John 8, 12, I think it was, about Jesus and the light. And in 1 John, he writes, he actually says that God is light. He says that God is light. He says, this is the message we have heard from him, him being Jesus, and announced to you, 1 John 1, verse 5, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. There is nothing bad versus good. There's nothing unrighteous versus righteous, and there's nothing false. There is no darkness in God at all. There's, you have no reason to be suspicious of God. You have no reason to be suspicious of his word. You know what? If you feel like you can't trust God, you're feeling the same thing that Adam and Eve felt in the garden when the serpent came and said, hey, does God, did God really say, and he just doesn't want you to be happy? He knows that you'll become like God. And there's something inside human beings that just kind of flare up because we're made in God's image, and we're like, that sounds wonderful, and we have a choice. We can either decide, me and my way, I'm going to do what I want, or we could submit to God. Well, they didn't submit to God, and that's why the fall happened. We call it the fall in Genesis chapter 3. Humans fell. They, they missed it because they wanted to be God, and they got suspicious of God. And John is saying, there's no darkness in God at all. You don't have to be suspicious of God, and you don't have to uh, lose faith in him or doubt him. There's no darkness in him at all. And then he says, and you know how preachers can be hard? You know those preachers that like preach those sermons and you walk out like someone just ran over your toes and you're like, I don't know, was he upset? Was he upset with me? Does he know what I did? I know what you did, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what you did, right? This isn't, I, we don't have a confession thing. I don't know what you did. Uh, anyway, you know how people feel that way? Paul notches it up, just a, little, a few notches. He, he kind of raises the bar and he says, now listen, if we say that we have fellowship in him, 
In other words, if you and I say, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, if we say that, but yet we walk in darkness, we decide we're going to live not like Jesus wants. We're going to do things that we know is against him. We're not going to live in Jesus' light, his truth. When we walk in darkness, we lie. We lie to ourselves. We're hypocrites. We put on a mask. People around us don't know what's really going on in our lives. We pretend like things are okay, but we lie. And we're not practicing the truth. Light embodies the truth. And if we don't live like that, we're lying to ourselves. And here's the good news. Paul loved these people. God loves us. This is his inspired word. God's not saying this so he could say, I know what you did. You know, you're in trouble. You know, and that's not his purpose. God is speaking out to you. He's giving you an invitation through his word. Hey, don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to others. Practice the truth. Remember the light. Walk as children of light. I love you. This is what's truly good. This is what's really righteous. This is what's really true. Walk in the light. If you, if, and only you know, all of us in some ways have experienced this recently. I'll just confess my sins. This week has not been a great week for me, and, uh, and I fell. Uh, I stood at my, in my kitchen, I stood at my oven, and, uh, and I'll, I'll share it this way. Uh, you know how some people have the wrong friends? You know how people like some people, have the, especially you young people, your parents tell you, don't make the wrong friends. Why? Because you will end up like them. You will do what they do. You'll be influenced by them. Don't hang around the wrong crowd. Don't be buddy-buddy with those and act, you know, enjoy their activities. Proverbs chapter 1 and, verse, and chapter 2 are all about this, by the way, if you go back and read it. And then it gets in Proverbs 3 about, listen, be wise, young people. Don't hang around the wrong people. They're going to lead you down the wrong path. Well, I've, I grew up with two friends. Uh, their names were Bread and Cheese. And we hung out all the time. And we just have had a relationship since the very beginning. And I've known for a long time I need to kick these friends and stop being around so much. I mean, I can see them and be nice to them and wave to them at parties, but I should not be like every day hanging out with them. And I've even had fights with Cheese before where we didn't agree with one another and it was a big mess. And, you know, I've, I know I need to kick those friends. I know that. Uh, this week I was really down. I was uh, really sad and I knew, I felt this conviction that God was telling me to go into the garage, because no one else goes in the garage, it's just me, but to leave the family, to go in the garage, and to pray. And there was extra food on the counter, because we're rich, we have 100 times more than what we need, 98% uh, of the world doesn't even know, doesn't even have a taste of the way I live. I'm so incredibly materially rich. And I had more food than I needed, and my kids didn't eat it all, so I thought, I'll just eat a little bit. And I stood there just eating and eating and eating and feeling bad about it, and I continued to eat. And I was self-medicating, and I was trying to fill a void that cannot be filled with bread and cheese. But I, didn't, I chose not to walk in the light. 
I chose to walk in darkness. I felt horrible. I didn't even go to pray afterward. Have you ever not done the right thing and the very thing you need to do is to go pray and you're like, but I can't. I don't even want to go pray. I just felt like a hypocrite. Tried to do some things. I just fell down. Eventually, and I knew better. It's not like I haven't learned this lesson one million times before, but that's how fallen I am. That's how weak I am. I still give in to temptation. I, I still try to give in to idols in an empty bucket with a hole in it. I still, to this day. And we started playing worship music, and then we were supposed to go downstairs. I wouldn't turn it off. I couldn't stop. I just wanted to listen to another song and sing out to God. And eventually, I just wanted to get on my knees. I, I sent everyone downstairs, and I'm in my kitchen on the floor just asking God, I need you, and I'm not even going to you. I'm going to food. Forgive me. I want you. I know I need you right now. When we are walking in darkness, God doesn't look at us like we're his enemy. He looks at us like we're a little kid that fell down, and he desires nothing more than to help us get back up. He loves us. And so as Paul is saying, listen, don't lie to yourself. You're not practicing the truth. Don't lie to yourself. God wants to use you and me as an embodiment of truth to the people around us. That's what Jesus wanted. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And in their day, a city on a hill is different than ours. Just quickly, you probably already understand this, but to them, they didn't have electricity. There were no uh, you know, street lights and all that. It wasn't the same as it is now. And so a city, especially at nighttime, when you see a city lit up, that is just you are like oh, a breath of fresh air. You know there's food, there's shelter, there's protection. I can go to that city. Sometimes when you're traveling and you're unsure exactly where you may be and you see the light and you know, wait, that's the town, and you know where you're going. A city on a hill is so comforting and helpful. He's like, you can't hide a city on a hill, and you wouldn't want to. It provides guiding light. You need it. And so light embodies the truth. And not only that, but it exposes the darkness. Light embodies the truth, but it exposes the darkness, which is the second characteristic. Light exposes the darkness, and we know this. Listen to the rest of uh, Paul's writings. As you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, verse 10, do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Don't join, don't practice darkness, don't join the world in their evil deeds. Don't join them. They want you to join them. They'll threaten you if you don't join them. They'll hate you if you don't join them. They'll make you feel crummy if you don't join them. Don't join them. Do not participate. Don't participate. Instead, do something different. Don't only not participate with them, expose them. Expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Now, wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. You're saying, uh, expose them. And then you're saying, but we can't talk about it? How do, you, how do you expose it if you don't speak about it? What does he mean by it's disgraceful even to speak about such things? Well, you have to know what the word speak means and what disgraceful means. That word disgraceful, that Greek word, you know what it means? Filthy. It means dirty. 
It also is used in some extra-biblical, not the Bible. It's used that same language during that same time. It's used for the word ugly. It is ugly, filthy to even speak about things. And what he's trying to say, which he says in another way later, he says, it's just as dirty to joke about it and talk about it as it is to do it with your actions. Now, Paul got that from Jesus, specifically the Sermon on the Mount. Even thinking it in your heart is a sin. You've heard it was said, don't commit murder. But if you have anger in your heart, you've committed murder. You know that you're guilty. God's intention is that, listen, it doesn't matter if you don't, I mean, it matters if you don't fall through with it, but that's, that's not the only point. If it's in your heart, you have to confess. A sin can happen in the heart. It doesn't even have to reach out there. And Paul's like, don't even speak about such things. That's ugly. It's just as ugly to, to joke about it and talk about it and entertain it verbally as it is to actually do it. Um, I don't want to make any enemies, and I'm not trying to you know, get down on people, but I always get bothered. It's always a man. I always get bothered when I hear a man say, yeah, I used to sin, and I used to be good at it. And uh, I used to know how to do it right. And I, I don't, it's not because I'm a preacher. It's because of Jesus. I, oh, I hate it. There's always a bad taste in my mouth when I hear a man say that. I just want to be like, are you joking about sin? Are you proud that you used to be a great sinner? Oh, yeah, I used to really enjoy myself. Really? What gives birth to death? Kids are abused. People are trafficked. People die. They break up, they divorce, they hate each other. People are trapped in darkness, they're under addiction. You used to be really good at sin. You don't even know what sin is if you think that you used to be really good at it. And I know that some guys are trying to say, I was in that life, but I hate when they put a twist like a proud thing on it. Don't be proud of sin. Sin's horrible. It gives birth to death, it kills people, and if you die in your sins, you stay separated from God forever. Sin is not a laughing matter. It's not a joke. Sin is sin. Disobedience is real. And it has a real consequence. It is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. So we are here to make the truth visible. We are here, you and I, the light of the world, we embody the truth, we expose the darkness. The idea is that you and I show the bad for how bad it really is. We make what's invisible and not seen for what it really is, we make it visible by being the light. Philippians 2.15, prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Now, I want you to keep that verse up there. I want you to think what he's saying. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Let it be your character that goes before you. Listen, your, the way that you conduct your life ought to be louder than how loud you preach. It ought to be louder than your words. The way that you live should be louder than, than how you preach. You should be living this. Prove yourselves. The way that you expose the darkness is not by, oh, you guys are so horrible. It's by living it first. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. You ought to live out 
how you live ought to be louder than how you preach. Uh, have you ever heard of the anglerfish? Anybody know what the anglerfish is? It's a deep sea fish, right? Really spooky. If you've seen uh, Finding Nemo, you've actually seen a cartoon of one. Here's a picture of one that was used in the New York Times. It was published two years ago, July 29, 2019, not that long ago. Just a couple years. And they, they did this article on the, uh, the anglerfish, and here's the title. The creepy anglerfish comes to light. Just don't get too close. That was the title. Uh, that barb, that lure, it's called a lure on the top. It's a light. So this is like 800 to 1,100 feet. Uh, I think it's feet or meters. I can't remember. Sorry. Um, but it's really deep. It's so deep that light doesn't penetrate. It's in the deep sea where there is no light, really. And it has a glowing luminescent feature to it. And it has this lure at the end with a light bulb. And it attracts fish. It's normally swimming upside down. Actually, they found recently, this is all recent, it's upside down and it has these weird tangle things and it kind of doesn't use a lot of energy because it has to eat very few things uh, in its lifetime. So it turns upside down, it has this lure fish and fish, like on Finding Nemo, fish come to him like, oh, there's some luminescent light. And he's like, yes, please come. And then he eats the fish or the squid or whatever it is. Uh, Christians normally behave as one of two kinds of lights is the purpose I'm getting to. How are you a light of the world? How are you a light in the world? It's one of two ways. It's the finding Nemo fish on the left, where you're a light. Oh, buddy, you, you light up the darkness, but you light it up to chew people out, to eat them, to destroy them, to consume them. You're, you're the caricature of the angry Christian who has forgotten about love and gentleness and salt and, and caring for people like you need to be cared for. You could be like that, or you could be like the picture on the right, where God intended for you to be a light in the world, guiding the path, showing people. Now, the point is, don't be an anglerfish or an angry fish. Be a light that helps people, not spits them up and chews them out. Uh, our student pastor, Sean, I've learned so much from him already. He just started working here. He's wise. Uh, of course, he's older than me, just like everyone else on staff. Um, but he, he is, I've learned so much from him. He's so great. And he said, you know what this reminds me of, the whole light idea? LED. You, you know what an LED is? A light-emitting diode? It's a, it's a light that doesn't use as much energy and heat and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, he says, uh, LED. And so there's three statements. Light exposes darkness. Light engages darkness, light eliminates darkness. So, and I made up, not creative, the three what light bulb instead of three watt, right? You guys think that's, no. Listen, you don't have to do that for me. I know that's cheesy. Uh, anyway, the three what light bulb. So if you're going to be an LED light bulb, you're going to be a light in the world. Light exposes the darkness, but it does it by example. That's the Philippians 2 point of verse 15. You don't go out there and you don't hate people with your words you live it first. People will see that and that will be brighter than any of your words. So light exposes darkness by example and it engages darkness with love. With love, you, you engage them with the purpose of I want, to, I want to help this person. I want to show them with the same generosity and gentleness and mercy and compassion that the Lord showed me, I want to give to them. You engage them with love and you, you eliminate the darkness through God's power. It is only by God's power, his gifting of the Holy Spirit. I could not even stand up here right now if it were not for the Lord. It is God's power. You know, most people, they pray to avoid suffering and inconvenience. Most of your prayers, I guarantee, are take this way, take that away, don't let this be bad, just make this perfect, heal this completely. Most people's prayers are to avoid suffering and inconvenience. And God's intention 
and those are fine prayers, that it would go deeper. That you would pray for things deeper than that. Like the Lord, when he was praying in Matthew chapter 26, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, your will be done. I want your will to be done. I want you to show me. You're good. I've read Job's story. Maybe you're doing something I don't understand. All the suffering, losing my family, losing my riches, being sick completely from the top of my head to the toes of my feet. Job said, I wish I would have not said anything. God is good. James chapter 5 tells us that we see in Job's life God's compassion and mercy. God is good, even though we don't see it. And so the light eliminates that darkness by God's power, not our own, by God's wisdom, not ours, by God's answers, not ours, his will, not our will. So Jesus preached, Matthew 5, 15, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, light was normally, for this day, was an oil lamp. It looked like uh, the picture that's coming up here. This is uh, a first century Palestine-type oil lamp. It's this little clay jar, almost looks like a genie little jar. It's got a big opening where you pour in the oil. It's got a wicker that comes out the top. And you soak it in olive oil, and then you light the thing. And the olive oil just keeps seeping through the, the, the little ropey thing, and then it lights. And one candle light's not very much light. So you wouldn't put this in the corner of a room. That would make no sense. Most houses back in this day would have a light in the center of the room. You would have a type of lampstand. It's not maybe like what you're thinking of. It wasn't like what we have now. But you would have a lampstand, and you would put it in the center of the room, and, and, uh, and it would look like, uh, like the, the next picture. So candle light is... Very dim. So you, you would not put a basket over this. You wouldn't try to cover it up. You would want the light to expose as much of the house as possible. The purpose of light is to provide light, not cover it. To cover it is irrational, and that's what Jesus preached against. That's what he's trying to say. Listen, you don't cover up a light. Don't cover up your light. And he already preached about this in John chapter 3 in his conversation with Nicodemus. Do you know why people cover up the light? Cover up the light that God has done in their own life. This is for Christians too. And why people cover out the light out there. They don't even know Jesus and they cover up what God calls the light. They do it for two reasons. And you can find it in John chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. I'll read through it. Jesus in his conversation to Nicodemus says, and this is the judgment. This is after the famous John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. In verse 19 he says, and this is the judgment. That the light has come into the world. That's Jesus. And people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds were evil. We reject the light and we cover it because we don't want to change. We, our deeds are wrong and we want to keep doing it. I don't want to admit to you that I have given in to temptation this week and that I feel like an embarrassed failure, like a three-year-old. I just gave in to something I knew I shouldn't have. I've learned this lesson a million times before. I hate even telling you that I keep... I, I'm, I'm not doing well this week. And, I, and instead of going to God, I went to food. I don't, there are times I want to cover up the light because I don't want to change, but there's also times I want to cover up the light because I don't want to be exposed. And so they love the darkness. They, they hate the light, in other words, because their deeds are evil. Verse 20, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light so that his deeds will not be exposed. You don't go to Christians. You don't go to the Bible. You don't go to God because you don't want to be exposed and be known as wrong. 
I was wrong, I was weak, I failed, I did the wrong thing. We don't want to go to the light because we don't want to be exposed or we don't want to change. That's what Jesus means by covering up the light. And that's, that's what God doesn't want in our lives. He wants us to embody the truth and expose the darkness. And third, that we would exalt the Father. Light exalts the Father. It gives glory to God. In the end of his statement in verse 16, he says, Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your light has to shine, but it has to shine in a particular way. You don't shine so that people will look at you. Well, look at me. Look at all the good things I did. Ha, ha, ha. You know, praise to me. You know, I want you to think highly of me. I want to have the good reputation. Yes, think I'm a good guy and I do good things. And yes, like me and say good things about me. That is not the light. True light shines in such a way that people see it and they don't glorify you. They glorify God. They're turned to God. It's like you're a spotlight. Have you ever seen someone searching in the dark, uh, dark with a spotlight? Are they ever holding up their flashlight like this, looking directly? In, not, now, my kids have done that so many times. But I mean, normally, do you look into the light? No. You shine it on something else. You're trying to shine it on something else. You shine as a light, but not so that people will stare at you and burn their retina, but so that they would look toward God, so that they would glorify God. Our light must shine. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. That's the darkness. Don't give in to it. Avoid it. Fight against it. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Think unbelievers. Keep your, the way you live to outsiders that don't know Christ. Keep it honorable so that when they speak evil, against you or when they speak against you as evildoers and that's not if by the way that's when they will speak evil against you if you follow Christ they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation on the last day they're going to know that you follow the Lord the whole I, the whole point of light is to exalt the father i'm going to pray and then Kyle and the band's going to come up and send us out in a song Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise your name. We thank you. Would you bless us now as we sing to you and we think about how you have made us lights in the world. Uh, you are the light and you have called us to be your light in the world. So we pray that you would shine brightly through us. In Jesus' name.